My co-host, Mark, is the coordinator of PAWS, the local 350.org group, as well as being active in other groups and is the author of Putting Out the Planetary Fire. So I turn to Mark to ask, what is your assessment of the impact of the final COP28 agreement? Unfortunately, it's it's pretty poor. I mean, we should remember moving into this COP, um, the situation had become so dire with uh, the highest level uh, that we're aware of, of, of global warming this year, uh, extreme weather um, breaking out all over the planet, floods, heat waves, uh, massive hurricanes, uh, and actually led the Secretary General of the United Nations to say that um, we have opened the gates to hell uh, due to the failure of our governments to actually take uh, effective action to reduce um, you know, climate change. You know, there were certainly some things that people point to. Um, there was what people call in at least some money put in the table for the so-called loss and damage um, fund, basically to help um, developing countries recover from you know significant uh, impacts, but certainly a lot less than um, people had uh, need. Um, and the other thing was people were pushing very, very hard. People, governments, climate activists, scientists, that you know, given if we're going to try to keep the 1.5 degrees centigrade warming, we have to stop burning fossil fuels. And so the big push was a rather mild statement that it's time to phase out fossil fuels. Uh, instead, what we came out is it's time to transition away from fossil fuels. I mean, the reality is the big winners uh, at COP28 were the fossil fuel companies and then the countries that uh, you know rely upon export of fossil fuels for income, starting with um, you know the United uh, States. Um, I mean, I'll just quickly read a couple of quotes. Um, the problem with the text is that it still includes cavernous loopholes that allow the United States and other fossil fuel producing countries to keep on um, the expansion of fossil fuels. This is a pretty deadly fatal flaw in the text, which allows for transitional fuels to continue, which is code word for natural gas that also emits uh, carbon pollution. And that was from uh, Gene Sood, one of the national leaders, runs the Biological Diversity Energy Justice uh, Department. And then a climate scientist that I follow, and I think has a lot of respect, one of the more progressive but also well-respected academic, uh, Professor Johann uh, Rockström uh, from the Potsdam Institute over in Germany. Um, no, the COP28 agreement will not enable the world to hold the 1.5 degree limit. But yes, the result is a pivotal landmark. The disagreement does deliver on making it clear to all financial institutions, businesses, societies, that we are now finally, eight years after the Paris Agreement, at the true beginning of the end of the fossil fuel-driven world economy. Yet the fossil fuel statement remains too vague with no hard and accountable boundaries for 2030, 2040, and 2050. A lot of greenwashing, a lot of corporate greenwashing. Uh, the lobbyists were everywhere from the fossil fuel industry. It was sort of a, I don't know what call it, a flea market, but certainly a market bazaar um, for those seeking to profit off of climate change. So you mentioned the um, 
the politics around fossil fuels, that the beneficiaries are the fossil fuel industries, the president of COP28 was one of those beneficiaries. So could you go a little bit more into um, the agreement and uh, the politics and specifically where does the Biden administration stand? Well, like many uh, legal agreements, government pronouncements, uh, there's a lot of words which can sound nice on paper, but the devil's in the details and there's an awful lot of, of loopholes. And in fact, it really, you know, sort of stays some aspirational goals. We hope this occurs rather than saying we are committed to making this occur and this is how we're going to do it. Um, one of the big things was with the United States. The United States actually did support um, the call to, to phase out fossil fuels but what they actually were doing was trying to make sure there were loopholes and they were successful um, in that fossil fuel companies would be allowed to continue to burn fossil fuels as long as they had a way of trying to pull the carbon out of the, before it went into the atmosphere. And this is what is known as, as carbon capture. And this carbon capture technology, they spent tens of billions of dollars on it. It's been going on for decades and it has never worked. And in fact, um, the uh, International uh, Energy Agency, which is as mainstream government focused as you can possibly get, you know, they even recently came out and said that uh, carbon capture is an illusion. But yet that is what the United States pushed. That's central, you know, to this agreement. Um, and, and that's a, a real problem. One thing I will say, there are a lot of equity issues and, you know, for instance, um, a lot of the third world countries said, you know, the industrial north basically is the industrial revolution, burned fossil fuels for two centuries, and that's what's lifted up their economy. Now they want to shut the door so that my impoverished third world country doesn't have a path to economic development by you saying that we cannot use this cheap burning of fossil fuels, which is what your countries did to economic development. And so that's why it's so important that if we're going to tell, you know, these, you know, developing countries, you have to really not follow the same fossil fuel model. We have to provide a way for them both to um, short term, provide a decent standard of living for all their inhabitants, and then long term, be able to, you know, create a society which can provide, uh, you know, long term, decent standard of living for people. And so that's considered loss and damages. Could you explain what that uh, means? Well, that's a little bit, you know, confusing, to be honest. Um, and there's loss and damages, and there's uh, climate finance, and you have to follow this for a couple decades. Um, to be honest, I think most people sort of blur, blur them together. Technically, what loss and damages is supposed to be is to provide financial system to help poorer nations um, actually recover from large extreme weather events, rising sea level, extreme heat waves, uh, forest fires, crop failures, and stuff. You know, it's supposed to help them rebuild the necessary physical um, and social infrastructure. And then there's climate finance, and that's more trying to make capital available, money available to the developing world, both so that they can uh, invest in uh, technologies to um, uh, mitigate, reduce the amount of, you know, greenhouse gas emissions coming up 
but but also uh, adapt. Now, so this is the first time that you know loss and damages was talked about at the last COP, but you know there was some money put on the table, a pitiful amount of money. The United States put in an embarrassingly low $17 million uh, amount of money and uh, Japan 10 million and literally hundreds of billions of dollars needed annually. And most of the money provided was uh, one term, one term shots, not ongoing uh, financing. The one thing that people saw as a victory was the United Arab Republic uh, put in um, $100 million, as well as Germany put in $100 million. And one of the big fights is that the definitions of what a developing country is comes from 30 years ago. And people are saying we need some of the more re more recently rich countries like China, like India, uh, and like the Gulf oil states to put money on the table. So the fact they did that was seen as a positive step. Okay, we're running quickly out of time. We have about 30 seconds left, but... You mentioned the German scientist out of Potsdam in Berlin, uh, who does not seem to think that we will succeed in pushing back the 1.5 degrees Celsius. What is your take on that? We've lost the 1.5 degrees. Uh, we probably might have lost two degrees. In fact, the world scientists say we're headed to three degrees, which is totally catastrophic by the end of the century. That doesn't mean you give up, though, because every 0.1 degree you know, increase and global warming has a big impact, and we have to fight both to reduce the amount of global warming that's going to take place, but also, are we going to stand together and basically try to protect everyone uh, from the ravages of, of, of climate change, or is it going to be a dog-eat-dog -dog where the billionaires live in gated biospheres and the rest of us somehow manage to survive a loss of food and water and land? Well, thank you, Mark Dunley, for giving us a little better understanding of what took place at COP28.